If we want people to see Jesus, if we want people to fall in love with Jesus, well, then we better be more like Jesus so they can. If we want people to follow Jesus, well, then we better be a little more like Jesus. And so Jesus' secret, I think, and not that he had secrets, but his secret to his success in life and ministry, I believe, was his loyalty to another. He was loyal to his father. He was loyal to the mandate he was given. In John chapter 6, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said this, radical. He says, for I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The point I'm making to you and I this evening is if we want to be effective like Jesus, we want to better represent Jesus, then understand what we've been given is not our thing. It's not my will. We pray not not my will, but yours be done. And then when His will begins to be done, we argue and wrestle and fight Him all the way. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And then the Lord's will, He listens to our prayers. He brings His will. And we all go, what the heck, Lord? Why are you doing that? I don't want to do that. You're praying His will into being because not my will be done. Jesus came to serve another's will, another's purpose, another's mandate. We serve someone else's mandate. And why are we to own it and get behind it and it's ours, it's not ours? I'm going to embarrass my friend Darian for a minute. You know, we ride Harley Davidsons. I'm sorry if you offended, but that's fine. And I, we moved here and I had a Harley and Darian, we went for a ride and he didn't have a bike at that stage, so he, we, he rented one. I don't know if you remember this, and I, I, I'm still trying to get over it, so that's why I'm bringing it up publicly. And so I had my own bike, and we rode up. I mean, listen, Colorado's got the best one-day rides in the world. You should get a bike and go and have a look, but don't do it in a car. It's boring. Go on a bike. But anyway, so we rode somewhere, and it was awesome, and uh, I rode my bike, and he was on his rental bike, and and then like... I did the unthinkable. Well, I did the thing that we all do, but he did the unthinkable. <laughs> and I said to him, hey, Darren, I mean, listen, my, my bike's great. You've bar- you rented it. Like, do you want to ride my bike back and I ride that far? Remember, D? And I didn't mean it. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and I was like, what? No, 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 what? You want to ride my bike? He's like, yeah, I'd love to. I'm like, gee, there's no, I was just asking. I didn't mean it. And so he gets on my bike and he's going, and now I'm on someone else's bike. And I still enjoyed the ride, but not as much because I'm aware this bike's not mine anymore. It belongs to someone else. It's got consequences if I come off this bike. It has consequences if I come off. I know there's some nurses here. They're going to get mad. But I know if I fall off my bike, there are consequences. But when it's someone else's bike, you're a little more careful because this has to be given back to someone else. And it's kind of like this in the church. We think it's our thing and we get to do whatever. No, no, we must give back the one who's entrusted. And Jesus was loyal to someone else. This is not my thing. This is your thing. And I want to be found faithful in doing that thing. Sorry, D, but now we're free and I've put it out there publicly (laughs) while you're here. It's been all over the world, but now you're in the room, so now you know. He was loyal to his father's mandate. He was loyal to a 
another one's message, to the Father's message. Just think about this for a moment. He said in John 7 verse 16, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Then he goes on, he says this, interesting for us preachers. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God who will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. It's in the doing you'll know whose it is. Then he goes on, he says, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. Mm. The church is saying all these things, my message, my revelation, my thing, my down podcast, join my thing. It's like you're getting personal glory. Jesus said, the teaching I carry is not mine. Anyone who preaches their own thing is for personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. This message, guys, girls, is received as a trust. It's not manufactured. It's not make it mine and change it up and fix it and address it and make it more attractive and make it more sexy and whatever we wanted to say and what we wanted to me, it's no longer His message when we've made it out. Jesus made it very clear, the message I bring is not mine. I'm loyal to someone else. His ministry showed that he was about something else, someone else. In Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20, the parable of the sower and the seed, and a couple of guys have referenced it this morning already, but, you know, for me, I think we get so caught up in worrying about this, the soil that we forget to sow the seed. I'm not, I don't fully understand this theologian, so forgive me, but this I do want to say, for too long we have tried to get the soil ready and right. I can't get this soil tonight ready. It's not up to me to be on my knees praying for you to be ready to receive. My job is to make sure my heart, mine, the only thing I can control is ready to receive. But it's up to you what you do with this. And my job tonight is just to throw the seed. And wherever it lands, it's not my fault. It's up to you. But somehow we as the church are like getting everyone ready for some seed that we actually forget to sow. Because we're so busy trying to get the soil of everyone else's heart ready. I kind of see that as our job is just to sow seed. We are sowers of the seed, not growers of the seed. And I think we'll stand before God one day and give an account for the seed we sowed, not the growing of the seed. When we moved to this country and planted a church in this region, I've got an accent if you haven't heard. And mine's becoming more like yours, so I'm trying hard. Craig's trying hard too, but I'm, I'm 11 years ahead. And so everywhere I went, people were like, gee, you got an accent. And 11 years ago, there weren't many foreigners' international accents in Colorado. So you go everywhere, and people are like, gee, where are you from, Australia? And then we, here we go. Why are you here? I was, I was never off. I had a day off, and I, in the bank, I couldn't have a day off because I'm in a line, and everyone's asking me, why are you moved here, and what are you doing here? I said, you forever. But here's what I realized. God spoke to me. Your job in this region is just to throw seed and not worry about it. You're a seed thrower. And of course, there are times we reap the soil, but at the end of the day, all we're called to do is throw seed. But we're so busy, dear friends, digging and praying and go sow seed, go give it, go throw it and see what God does. Sow the seed everywhere, all the time and leave the rest to Him. Jesus seemed to speak on that out of Mark chapter 4. 
Mark chapter 4, he talks about multiplication, the parable of the growing seed. He says, he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he not know how. Whether he's asleep or he's up working hard, it's still going to grow. Maybe some of us can go back to sleep for a moment and understand. Sow the seed and let it grow. We out there digging it and picking it up again and digging it and just... Whether he sleeps or goes to gets up, let's get some sleep. It's doing it. Night and day, it grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces ground. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel, then the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. I don't understand this, but this I know. We're trying too hard. We're forcing. We're fleshing it. We're making it. We're condemning people and dragging them and forcing them into something you can't be forced. I don't want to say we don't trust God and step out, but I am saying just sow seed and let God do the rest. Your job is to sow it, keep sowing and sowing and sowing. And you know, sometimes you pick up a harvest. I mentioned Jesus, and this is openness in America right now. It's like when the city closed down, the nation closed down, the hearts of people opened up. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm delighted. Things are beginning to open up, but hearts are beginning to close. We got some time quickly to get some seed and get some harvest, and, but, but we better step into the moment we've been given. The growth is in His hands. We're not growers of the seed, but we get, we, but gatherers of the harvest. Focus on sowing the seed and reaping the harvest and leave the growth to Him. Now, all that to say this, the axiom of tr- of is true. That a church does not grow higher than its leaders, I believe. But is leadership and ministry the same thing? And I don't think it is. And we are all about leadership and we need leadership and leadership is essential. But leadership and ministry are not the same thing. And if we just talk leadership and we just speak on leadership and we write books about leadership and we look at all the scriptures are about leadership, we're missing another element that's lacking when Jesus functioned in ministry, not just leadership. And Jesus was the greatest leader ever. Stop modeling our ministries around anyone other than Jesus. And he knew how to lead, and he is the leader of leaders. And Max, was it, uh, Max, John Maxwell, he's brilliant, but he's not Jesus. I've learned a lot from John Maxwell, but I want to tell you, Jesus has got 20 million irrefutable laws about leadership. Are you with me? I'm not having a go. I'm just telling you, Jesus was the greatest leader. He was perfect. But he also understood something of ministry. If we're going to be affected, we're going to go from here tonight. It's leading, but it's also understanding ministry, and they're not the same thing. It's a thing of finishing the race and completing the task. Finishing the race is more about leadership and going somewhere, which is essential. Ministry is more about overseeing the people, touching the people, bringing people to wholeness. And Jesus did both very well. And I've got all these great truths around leadership, but I don't want to talk about leadership now. I'm going to flick through all this, and I want to talk about ministry. Because I think, including this man standing here, I've missed some of this. So go with me quickly to Mark chapter 5. 
You hear that? That's how you sound when you say this. But I'm going to. Mark, Coke, hamburgers, and my wife. No, baby. Okay, Mark, 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 Mark chapter 5. All right, just so you know. Uh, uh, there's no greater model for ministry than Jesus. And here in Mark 5, let's read verse 21. It says, when, Je- when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. While he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, now let me just, oh, well, let's read it. A large crowd followed him and pressed him. Now, now, Jesus was on his way to a massive gathering. We're not anti-gathering, right? We want big gathering. But leaders is about, let's get to the crowds. This man comes to him and says, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Jesus could have very easily, like most leaders, tell this man, get a hold of my secretary, send me an email, we will set up something. I'm busy being a leader. The crowds are waiting for me. I'm busy with my my leadership. But Jesus seemed to actually say, I will leave them for your daughter. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed around him. Now look at this, verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes. You see, the people's crowding against you, his disciple answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering." While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him. Wow, that's a bad leader. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, I like that leadership style, he took the child's father and mother, and the disciples were with him, and he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand 
And he said to her, Talith Keom, which means little girl, I say, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. Now it's just interesting how the lady with the issue of blood had 12 years. This 12-year-old girl was healed by Jesus from death to life. At this, they were completely astonished. Aren't you longing for some astonishment back in America? Not through the great evangelist preaching on a stage, but by simple people responding and saying, take me to the sick people and let me show you the power of Jesus. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. That's the way to get the gospel out. We tell people to go and tell the gospel. No one does. But if you tell people not to, they will. So I'm asking you not to preach any of what I'm saying to you tonight. I dare you. Don't tell anyone, okay? You gossipers. On, no, no, I'm joking. Quick, there are three essential elements that I want to highlight just in landing. Three points. I had ten last night. I've only got three tonight. I've had a few intros. but Three essential elements, I think, from Jesus' model for ministry that serves an example for all of us in ministry. And I want to say this, we are all in ministry, if you're a believer here tonight. It's not about the preachers and the pastors. We are all called to minister. And there are three key things I see in Jesus' leadership, and I'm telling you tonight, have challenged me to the core of my being. Because I've been raised in the church, my dad is a leader of leaders. I've only been taught leadership, and I'm all about leadership, and it's good, and it's right, and again, we make no apologies, but I have missed the understanding of the other side, and God has brought me wonderfully back to understanding both to be more effective. And the three key things we see about effective ministry, number one, time. Time is a precious commodity for all of us. If you're any leader worth their salt is busy with many things. We have ministry appointments. We have time with God. We have appointments. Listen, friends, I am pretty focused in what I'm called to do. And to be honest, my wife kind of thinks I'm autistic because I'm so focused on what I'm supposed to do. But in saying that, I just know there is a purpose to what I'm called to do. And I cannot be messed around with all the messing around. And so I am pretty much scheduled, again, not because I'm anal about it, because I've got focus to my call and my mission, and, and I'm global, and I've got to, even through lockdown and pandemics, I'm on Zoom calls day in and day out, and I've got to fix miss their, their hours of this country and that country. So I'm pretty much at a schedule day in and day out. I fit around their time zones, not ours, even though I'm the leader. How does that work? They should fit around me, right? I'm going to change it. Chris, write that down. We're going to change that. It's my revelation here. So, so here's what I want to tell you. I'm busy with the things of God. I'm busy living in my call. I'm focused, and my time is precious. And I have structure, and I go to the gym. And when I'm at the gym, I get frustrated because people line up, and they want to bump and irritate me and interrupt me, and I get frustrated with interruption. I really do. I, I don't have time for interruption. I'll be taught leadership. Get on with it and focus and know where you're going, and don't let anyone hijack you on the way. And then suddenly I began to read the Gospels, and I claimed to represent Jesus, and I want the world to see this Jesus that I talk about. And then I realized that actually Jesus, the greatest leader of all time, 
seem to respond more to interruptions than to correctives. He ministered to the people who interrupted him rather than got them to call his secretary, line up, and I'll see you when I am done with my real job. Hey, don't look at me. I'm talking to you because you all do this regardless of your position in the kingdom. We're busy. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm going to go pick up the kids. I've got to do this. And things are opening again. And even in lockdown, we got real busy with a whole lot of stuff we didn't need to do. Isn't it amazing? So let me get in trouble here. I have not met one person who said to me pre-COVID, if only I had more time, I would spend it with Jesus. (laughs) And then we got time for a season. And guess what? 99.99% of people who said that never spent a minute more with Jesus. I want to tell you why. It's not time. It's value. It's priority. Let's be honest. You will make time for what you prioritize. It's got nothing to do with time. It's all priority. And that's not an accusation. Stop blaming your time and come back to priority. That's just for free. But we are busy. But Jesus did not have a to-do list all the time. Much of Jesus' ministry flowed out of interruptions. After reading through the Gospels, it's pretty clear that that's what happened. None of Jesus' miracles were on his to-do list. He didn't get up in the morning and say, well, I've got ten lepers to heal today, two blind people to cure the paralytic, set free several demon-possessed people. That's my plan today. He didn't have that. The same went for his teaching. Interesting that a lot of the teaching we have that we highlight was out of interruptions. He had some clear teachings with the systematic kind of unpacking of the Beatitudes. He clearly had it. But a lot of the ministry, the preaching, and the stuff that we have in the New Testament, in the Gospels, was out of questions and interruptions where we get this great truth that liberates people. Luke 10, an expert in the law, tested him on who is my neighbor, questioning and interrupting Jesus' teaching. And we gain the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke 15, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered against him, welcoming sinners. And he, he responded with the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, by interruption. We would have missed the discipleship of Matthew and Zacchaeus if Jesus was not interrupted in his schedule. John 3, we would have not have the teaching on the new birth as Jesus didn't take time with Nicodemus. John 4, the teaching on the worship with Jesus ignored the Samaritan woman. And can I just say the quint essential example of Jesus taking time to respond was the story we just read. He was on his way to a crowd. He gets interrupted by Jairus about his daughter. This is irritating to me. Then on his way to the daughter, he gets interrupted again. An interruption to the interruption. You've seen this. The woman with the issue of blood, on the way to, he's already interrupted, now he's being interrupted again. And it wasn't just a push or a touch. Stopped and asked, who touched me? Who's interrupted me? This is the quintessential of interruption. You've seen this. 
I would have been ticked off already. I'm already leaving the crowd for this dude's baby. Now I've got someone else trying to stop me. Get behind me, Satan. Are you, come on, guys. Jesus flowed in ministry out of interruptions. And he didn't seem irritated. And even when he asked that lady, who touched me? It wasn't because he was mad, because he wanted to identify who's going to get healed. His daughter was dying. And he listened to her. And while she's dying, someone else came and pushed in their way. I'm not saying we are Jesus, but we better represent Him a lot more. There are interruptions that God has brought to us, but we're so busy leading, we're not doing what God's called us to. The church that I'm based in, I love how we've been praying for the lost in our prayer meetings. We put names on lists, and I love that. Honestly, we've seen, I mean, some testimonies of on the list, on these people on our list that we're praying for by name and praying. And in one of the prayer meetings, I felt God say, I have a list. And he actually talked about the story, reminded me of the story in our prayer meeting. Where, where he said all those people were invited to the banquet. All the people on the list had every excuse. Too busy, just bought a property, just got married, just all, all those on the list. And then they said, well, go and invite those the, the, that are not on the list. And they said, we've already done that. He goes, go into the highways and the byways. Go to those who are not on your list, but my list. If we have a list, that's great. But let me tell you, on our effort to reach our list, we're missing so many opportunities that He's put on His list for us to reach. Are you there, friends? I'm not saying be chaotic. I'm just saying let's be more prophetic in our evangelism rather than this is our list we're going after. I'm challenged. Man, I'm telling you, it's shifted. This city is open. These people are open. I live in, lived in this country, and this city, well, not this city, of Westminster, 11 years, the same house. My neighbors never even greeted me. They hate, I don't know why they didn't like me. I, I, I just don't understand. I'm the most likable guy. I don't know. I think it's my kids were kicking balls into their garden all the time. But they just wouldn't give me the time of day, maybe. But now, it's like COVID. I, I wish they would leave me alone. I go to the gym. I'm serious, friends. And I love going back to the gym. And now we don't even need masks. It's awesome back in the gym. But with masks on, all these people started reaching out and talking to me. And, and then you find out these guys, the one guy, he's been through sickness and disease by himself. He knows no one. He's an old man who's got no one. And then I see him and I'm like, we used to work at another gym and that closed down. Now we're at this gym. And I reckon, how are you doing? He said, oh, I've been in hospital. He's by himself. He's got no one. And I'm like, dude, phone me, call me, here's my number. I'm giving my number to these people. When, right before that, I would, you got no chance of getting my number. Not because I'm hiding, I'm busy. But maybe I'm busy with leading rather than ministry. And they both are needed, but I think we're good at one and not the other. I want to be like Jesus. I want to represent Him. He's the head, the heart, and the hope. Well, we better be a little more open to some of the irritations that maybe God's sending for us to reach those people. I'm telling you, friends, I don't know what to say. Colorado and your regions are more open today than ever before. I believe that. There's so much uncertainty. People are fearful. The election, the stuff, this COVID, is this the end? We had a deer run through our garden through COVID, and that just doesn't happen. Our neighbor, who, 
I can't even tell you what he does. I mean, it's, he, he, he said to me, do you think this is the end? Because we're all in lockdown, shutdown. Now we've got a deer running through our back. He said, I've lived here for 20 years. I've never seen a deer. Here. I'm like, yes, this is the end. Are you ready? I was trying to. And that's the last conversation we've had with him. But, but, but honestly, we've, we had, Nicole and I, we go for walks. We've had so much opportunity. It's, and to be honest, it's irritating because I even trying to pray for these meetings. I was out praying early in the morning, get up early to go pray. And I got my neighbors saying, hey, tell me, Tyron, what's happening? And I'm like, dude, I've got to go pray. I'm praying. I've got meetings. But there's, there's this is openness. And we're so busy getting ready for what's already happened. And we got a moment. I don't know how long. COVID has caused us to fear people. And, and I get it. I've been fearful too. And I've believed all. And I got COVID. I got sick. And I had vaccines. I've done it all. Forgive me. And if you don't like me, so be it. I've got to travel. I need that vaccine. And I haven't become a sheep or a goat or a lion or whatever your thing is. Get over it. Whatever your thing is, be it. I've got to get on with the job I've been called to. And Just lost half of you, I can see, but that's okay. <laughs> I didn't do it because the government told me, because I need to get out of the country and travel again, all right? Anyway, that's another story. But, and I got COVID, so I'm at the moment bulletproof, apparently. But <laughs> we'll see. But it's caused us to fear people, right? I mean, honestly, I go walking, and I, before it was like if there's people on the, I was offended they were on the same path as me. Get all over. You shouldn't be near me. Why? Because this thing is fear, and stay away. I'm serious. It's like, don't walk on my street. Go some other street. This is my street. This is our street. Get off our street. I don't want to see. And then I realized we're missing all these moments because we're listening to someone. The devil's loving this, that the church has gone hiding. When we've got an opportunity to see sick people, lay hands on sick people, I'm not saying be silly, but we're waking up a little saying there's an open heaven, there's an openness, and the church needs to step out. Jesus would not be hiding in his basement waiting for this to disappear. I've lost, my, my, brother, my, my uncle died from COVID. I've lost someone, people on my team have died from COVID. So it's no joke, I'm not downplaying. But I am saying, it's opportunity in God that we best step into in this season rather than wait it out and the door will close again. Jesus was available. His leadership, we dictate the crowd. Ministry dictates the need, the priority of the person. Jesus broke away from crowds. And I want to say that's what God's called us to do. Secondly, quickly, not only time, secondly, touch. Jesus touched people. People touched Jesus. Jesus let people get to him. Jesus took time for the individual, and his ministry took something out of him. Verse 30, it says, at once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. William Barclay gives this analysis. I love this. He says, the passage tells us something about Jesus. It tells us the cost of healing. Every time Jesus healed anyone, it took something out of him. Here is a universal rule in life. We will never produce anything great unless we are prepared to put something of our very life, of our very soul into it. 
No preacher who ever preached a real sermon descended from the pulpit without a feeling of being drained of something. If we ever are here to help people, we must be ready to spend ourselves to reach them. The greatness of Jesus was that He was prepared to pay the price of helping others. That price was the outgoing of His very life. We only follow in His steps when we are prepared to spend not our substance, but our souls and strength for others. We've got to be willing to touch people on, for Jesus in Jesus' name. Our touch might be that of love or, or compassion or tenderness or compassion or help or deliverance or whatever it be, but very often our touch can affect the change that Jesus wants to bring. Third thing is transformation. Three keys to Jesus' ministry. Time, touch, transformation. I'm not looking for followers. I don't want to have a bunch of followers. That doesn't make me a leader because you've got followers. It's service and sacrifice that makes you a leader and a true minister. You can have 10 million followers and you're not a good leader. It's not about following. It's about transformation. Jesus touched and transformed people's lives of which we are all transformed by Him. This passage about the bleeding woman is often referred to as the sufferer's last hope. It's incredible when you study the, 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 the law and then you see what Jesus did. This, this was more than just a healing. This, this broke all the rules. Certainly Jesus was the last hope for this woman as for Jairus' daughter. Notice the subtle humor in this account of women pressing through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. You know, according to Mosaic law, this woman was ritually impure since she had bodily discharge, according to Leviticus 15. Most of the time in the Old Testament, when a person, listen friends, who was contaminated laid hands on something, it meant that they were transferring, transferring contamination to what was pure or innocent. A leper who touched a non-leper made the non-leper unclean. And then a ritually, ritually pure person could not touch a woman after childbirth, a Gentile, a vessel touched by a Gentile, certain animals or dead bodies or anything else. Radical truth. An individual who had been defiled by the touch of something or someone impure had to go through a detailed time of consuming cleansing procedure. Jesus became contaminated the minute the bleeding woman touched his clothes. And he further contaminated himself by taking the hand of the dead girl in verse 41. Evidently, the bleeding woman thought she could touch Jesus' clothes, get healed, and then melt back into the crowd without being noticed. Instead, Jesus stopped and asked, who touched me and my clothes? Disciples thought the question was absurd. Everyone's touching you, and, but he knew. The woman knew that he, what had happened. And that's why the text says, She came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She knew she was contaminated, and she touched him, and that was wrong. That's why she feared him. Are you hearing this? She knew she had defiled a holy man. If Jesus had been a Pharisee, 
He would have lit into her. How dare you touch me? You've contaminated me. Get away from me. Some of us are like that. You're saved. You're a sinner. Stay away. You got the devil in you. I got God in me. Don't come near me. You're under the law. And the impure touched the pure. The pure were made impure. But let me tell you, with Jesus, when the contaminated touched the uncontaminated, the uncontaminated, decontaminated, the contaminated, there is a reverse flow between law and the gospel. Instead of the woman's impurity defiling Jesus, His wholeness cleanses her. He does the same thing with our sin. He makes us righteous rather than us making Him sinful. Ministry is about transformation. We bring the good news that Jesus is Savior, baptized in the Spirit and Healer. Jesus told us to lay hands on the sick. That is a physical sign of the health in Him being passed into the person with illness, so health enters rather than death reigning in their lives. Ministers who have the greatest effect on people impart the life of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit through their example and through their teaching. Impartation, someone said, is really one long transfer of our own walk with God into the lives of the people to whom we call to minister. We love Jesus. Chances are they will also love Jesus. We show a right spirit, they will have a right spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, so will they be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we pray for the sick with faith, then people will be healed. We stir up the gift of the Spirit that's within us, then people are going to be baptized in the Spirit and remain in fervency for the Lord. We demonstrate and teach discipleship, well, guess what? Then people are going to become disciples of Jesus. We witness to the lost, and our people are going to also witness to the lost. You cannot give others what you do not have. But you can give what you do have. Ministering is not rocket science. Love people, love Jesus. Love Jesus, love people. You cannot love Jesus and not love people. You cannot. We don't have to talk to people about loving people if you love Jesus. It's the overflow of your love for him. How can I love him and not care about what he cares about? How can I love animals more than people? Seriously, I'm not getting in trouble here, but we care more. If we left this building tonight and we saw a dog on the side of the street or a cat or whatever you like struggling, we would do everything to make sure it's taken care of. But we walk over, literally step over homeless people. You're irritating. Get out of my way. I'm like busy. This is my neighborhood. Go to another neighborhood. I don't see anyone doing that with any animals. What's gone wrong? What's gone wrong? I'll tell you what's gone wrong. We've devalued the value of the individual. And you can't tell me a follower of Jesus if you've done that. Because he came for every individual. This is not to feel bad. This is to shift our thinking not to the masses, but to the individuals. And allow some of that interruption again. Are you there, friends? Jesus is our model for ministry. He takes time. He touches. He transforms. 
Jesus' touch, as I try and bring this to a close, is personal, intimate. Not here's my latest book and my latest thing and download my sermons and come to my church. No, no, let's do it right, right here. I'm telling you, when you just begin to reach out to people, they open up. Now they're like, hey, can we have coffee? And I mean, these old dudes, I'm like, what are we going to talk about? I don't even know, but they just love us. Now my sons go to the gym and now they can't, we can't work out anymore. And I'm irritated. I go, Nicole's like, you've been gone for an hour and a half. I'm like, babe, I didn't even lift a weight. I'm stuck talking to all these dudes. They just show up and, hey, Tyron, how you doing? And I'm like, how's the church? And I'm like, come to our church. And it's hard work, but it's what we call to. And I see that as effective as zooming across the countries of the world and talking to all these great leaders and encouraging them. And they're hearing this because this is what it is. It's personal. It's powerful. He touches a Simon and he becomes a Peter. Touches a Jacob, the deceiver, and becomes Israel, the prince of God. Touches transform Abraham into Abraham into Abraham. He touched changed Moses the murderer into Moses the leader of the people of God. Touched changed James and John and the sons of thunder into an early martyr and the apostle of love, respectively. He touched and cha- his touch changed Saul to the as the persecutor of the church to Paul, the preacher to the church. His touch is powerful. His touch is purposeful. It's transforming. His touch, oh dear. Am I going to have to pay for that? He just broke his iPad. Thank you. All right, let me land with one more scripture. Can you quickly go with me? Acts chapter 10. Landing with us. Acts chapter 10. I want to read one verse. And I'd love us to just pray together and we're done. Friends, I ask you, please, let's represent Him. If we want to be the solution, He is the solution. Not what would He do, what did He do. Let's go be it. Let's go do it. Head, heart, hope. We are hands and feet. Not what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do. Pastors, this is our mission here on this planet. Not grow your church, not gather your numbers. Reach out and touch people and equip your people to reach out and touch people. And then God can add more people to the people who are already been touched because you're caring for His people. We need the touch of Jesus in us, on us, but through us. Not our touch. They don't need our touch. They need His touch through us. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. I love that because it's God who anoints. God anointed Jesus and God anoints us. And we heard a little bit about it from, I think, Ken and from, I think, uh, Ron, some of you guys. And, And I just want to tell you that anointing is the Holy Spirit's enabling to do what we're being called to do. I mean, I, we've made it so weird, and you buy handkerchiefs in this country, and you can, I don't want to mock, and you can buy it from TV, um, some of these Christian stations where you can buy the anointed dudes 
shower cap and you put it on your head in the shower and you get the nonsense. Show me a scripture and I'll do it. It's not. It's a. It's a marketing strategy that is stupid. Because we're so hungry, we buy into it. Let me just tell you, it's God anoints. Man can appoint, but only God anoints. And God is anointed, not the man of God or the woman of God. All God's people are anointed. All of us are need and need the anointing, the Holy Spirit's enabling to do the thing He's called us to do. God anoints. Man appoints. God anoints. Man may appoint you, but only God can anoint you. No man can, or woman can receive anything except given from above. God is a creator God, not a duplicator God. And I heard uh, uh, someone say that. And I was at a conference that my friends encouraged me to go. So I went all the way to Florida once to go to this conference to hear what the apostles are saying to the church. And they had this man of God. And let me tell you, a man who's no longer with us. But man, this guy operated. And he stood up. And I, there were probably 8,000 Americans who paid big bucks to fly there to catch the anointed. And he stood up and he said, you're all here for my anointing. And I'm not giving it to you because I can't. People are like, well, I want my money back. Americans, capitalism, I need my money back. What do you mean? I can't. He said, God's given you anointing, not my anointing. And then he said this, God is a creator God, not a duplicator God. In other words, your anointing is your anointing. I can't give you mine. And I can lay hands on you, and I'm happy to do that. But I can't give you what I've got. You've got what you've got, and I can stir in you what he's given you. But I can't give you what I got. Because he gave me what I got, and he gives you what you got. And tonight, he can give all of us more of what we already have in order to be more effective in the anointing that comes from him. He doesn't want to duplicate. He wants to give created anointing to us all. Who does He anoint? Human beings. Jesus of Nazareth speaks of Jesus' humanity. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of not heaven, of Nazareth. Why? For human beings. This is a designation that points to Jesus' humanity. People are anointed by God to continue the message of Jesus. He anoints with what? With the Holy Spirit. Not something that floats around it. The Holy Spirit. And we've got to come back to honoring the Spirit more, friends. It's not some deluxe download when we need. He is God. Holy all the time. We don't, we don't tell Him what to do. I, I'm shocked even today after we pre- preached on this so much how people say, do this now, Holy Spirit. Who do you think you are? Last time I looked, he's God. We don't tell him to do anything. He's the boss. I know our hearts are good, but stop telling him what to do. He ain't listening to you. He leads us. I don't tell him. But with the Holy Spirit, he anoints with power and with power. God's power through man's weakness. It's awesome to realize that God makes that available to us today. Anointing enables us to go and do good, not have good meetings, not feel good. Maybe we've been to all these gatherings to get something so I can have a moment and a feel-good moment. It's not about feeling good. It's about doing good. Jesus didn't walk around feeling good. He did good. God has anointed us to go about doing good. 
Our nation, our world needs us to do good, but not government good, business good, kingdom good through the anointing that only can bring the lives and change and transformation. The anointing enables us to bring healing and wholeness to others. Went about doing good and healing. The anointing frees people from the devil's oppression. Who was anointed to set free all who are under the power of the devil? You know, friends, that doesn't mean they're running around demonized, okay? What that means is oppression. And oppression is pressure that opposes what is good and right. It's everywhere in our nation right now. It's not looking for demon-possessed people only. It's anyone who's oppressed under the opposition, the oppression of the devil. He's given us the ability, the, the power to break oppression. Anything that opposes God, what's right, He's given us the anointing to break that. The anointing is actually evidence that God is with us. It says, for God was with Him. Now, I, I don't want to be telling everyone God's with me. I don't want to walk around telling everyone God's with me. I want people to see God is with me. Why? Because of the evidence of the anointing. We have been tasked with many things this week. We've been reminded. We've been challenged. We've been encouraged. We've been stirred. We cannot go back to where we've come from and just wait it out any longer. We really can't, friends. And you can, but you're going to miss what God's saying. But I want to say this. Don't get busy with the wrong thing. Don't get back to the numbers and the bigness. Go to the Lord and be who He's calling us to be. And show the world who Jesus really is. And we will see more people coming into the kingdom and staying in the kingdom. Because they've been linked to Jesus, not linked to us. And when you're linked to Jesus, you'll never fall away, regardless of what pandemics lie ahead. But when you're linked to us, you keep falling away because we can't always be together. Does that make sense? Can we just close our eyes as we... Maybe you can just stand with me. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you if you're willing and want to, just put, to raise your hands. I'd love to just pray for a, just a, a fresh anointing. Can I say it like that? Just more. I'm not going to give you what i got. Let me tell you, you don't want what I've got. I don't want what you got. But I want to tell you, we can stir in each other more of what God's given us. And there is a season upon us that requires a new, a fresh anointing. It's not this weird thing that makes you shake and fall over. It can be that, but that's not the anointing. The Holy Spirit's enabling to get the job done, to go and be, to go and do, to lay hands on sick, to touch, to bring transformation, to lead God's people without wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of heaven, to be a husband to a wife that is so different to who I am. I can't get that from a book, but the Spirit can give me the enabling to be that husband. To raise children in, in a season like this, where books can't do it anymore for us. But the Spirit can give us the ability to lead our kids, our people. Leaders, pastors, leading God's people 
can be done through the Spirit. So we raise our hands to you tonight, King Jesus. And we know that you have promised, if we ask, you will give us more of the Holy Spirit. Tonight I just ask for a fresh anointing. We can appoint, but God, you anoint. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Would you tonight anoint us with the Holy Spirit and power? Across this room tonight, I pray, just touch, release, Effectiveness, transformation, a fresh outpouring of your enabling. Not by might, never by our power, but always by your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come even now, just touch all of us, ignite, stir, Increase greater anointings. That we will go about led by you, led by the Spirit, Spirit filled, Spirit moved, Spirit led, Spirit sent. To represent Jesus, a touch that transforms death to life, sickness to healing, sickness to wholeness. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, may we go honestly led by you wherever we go. These men and women who are leading and planting churches and strategy from heaven. Divine opportunities that come from you. Lead us, guide us, show us. Those of us who live here, give us your list daily of who you want us to reach daily. May we sow seed. May we throw seed. May we leave the results to you because we're not results driven. We ministry people who point people to Jesus. That's all you talk and ask us to do. So I pray freedom tonight, a freedom where we put stuff on each other, would you take it off? Where there's this teaching that tells us what we got to do all the time, would you just remove that religious duty to come back to Revelation and led by your Spirit, privileged to do this. And may we partner with you. You came to us. 
You want to walk with us and you want to work through us. Work through us, we pray, as you are the solution to everything. We bless you. We thank you. We receive from you. We commission ourselves again to go walk in this again. May this turn our nation round again, and may we come back to these truths again and again as we walk out this mandate that is from you, that belongs to you, that represents only you. We give you all the praise tonight, Jesus. We love you. We bless these people. We bless this church for hosting us. We thank you that as we go, you go with us. And that's the greatest thing about this. So we give you all the praise for our King and for His kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.